0: All right. turn with me to Numbers chapter 20, verse 14. Lord, we thank you that we could meet together around your word today. Just bless these things to our hearts that we might begin to know you better and the only way we're going to know you is from your example book, which is the Old Testament. It's simply the example book of New Testament truth. And this is really a Jewish book. Written, every single writer of it was Jewish. And so, some say that Luke wasn't, but I think he was. He was a Greek Jew. So, Lord, we just thank you for your book that you've given us, and we thank you for the Jewish people that have preserved it so beautifully and for the many that have died as martyrs trying to get it to the people. And it's such an interesting story to read about how we got our Bible and all of the martyrs and how Satan fought at it with tooth and nail all the way down through history, as he had been doing. And it's still today. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing on us and your wisdom that we might have real discernment as we study and as we move in this world, that we might apply what we learn from the Bible to what we're seeing in the world and see things from your point of view. And that's what we want to do in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw last week in the 20th chapter of Numbers, I want you to see that the first 20 chapters of numbers are getting the people ready to go into the promised land because notice 20 starts the sin of Moses It's 40 years later that this happens then the children of Israel the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month now they're headed up to the promised land now and the people stayed in Kadesh and Miriam died there and was buried there so this is 40 years after the beginning of chapter 1 See, because chapter one, go back there to that. Just the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. Still, they'd been there for 40 years in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month. In the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, they take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families and all. For, so get ready now. You've been in the wilderness for a year and you have the Ten Commandments, and you have built the tabernacle. Here's a picture of the tabernacle that I made for all of you to see with a cloud over it and the people around it. And this is the way they were arranged around the tabernacle. You need to see that the Levites, this is heading east. So the Levites were over here to the east, and that was the gate. Um, and, And all the other tribes are arranged around it, and it's fascinating to see that. Reuben is Aquarius and Simeon is Pisces. They each had a standard from the Zodiac that was their flag for each tribe. So as they were all around the tabernacle, you could see that they all had their flags like the Eastern Gate. Here would be Judah with his flag of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Leo the Lion, and all the other 12 all the way around. Here's how the order was. Here was Judah first. And next to him was Zebulun and Issachar. And then down the side was Gad, Reuben, and Simeon, and Naphtali, Dan, and Asher. And at the end was Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. And it tells you how many were in each of the tribes as they were numbered. And that's what we're reading in the first part. So they're getting ready. They had to make sure that they knew their pedigree. And we picture this, do we know our pedigree? Well, we're in Christ. That's what our pedigree is. But they had to be able to tell their history back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. If they didn't have their pedigree, then they weren't counted as Israel. So all of this, as we go through, we see the position of the tribes in the camp, chapter 2, and that's a picture of it. 3, the place of the Levites. Now, the Levites were not to inherit any land, but they were to be the servants of the priests. The Levites were set apart to be the servants of the high priest, who was also a Levite, but it was a different class. So Moses and Aaron were the priests, and all of their brethren, the Levites, were there to help them keep track of this tabernacle. The cloud would raise, and then they would have to move. And if they had to travel at night, the pillar of fire was there at night. It was there anyway at night. So you can imagine what the people around them thought when they saw this pillar of fire over this 3 million people. Just imagine this. Someday we'll see it all. God will show it all to us. But anyway, this picture, when they're getting ready to move, then all of the Levites, each one had a job of taking the sides down, taking the curtains down, taking everything apart so they could move and wrapping it a certain way God tells them exactly. And that's what... We move on through Numbers, and we saw how they did this, that only the family of Aaron and Moses, they were to be the priests, and they were to do the service in the holy place. The other Levites weren't allowed to do anything in the holy place. Then in chapter 5, they had to be separated from defiling things, so they had to get lepers out and things and It's about confession and restitution. God wanted his people clean as they were going to go up into the land. The Nazarite vow is in chapter 6. And then the princes of each of these tribes brought offerings in chapter 7. And their offerings were carts and things that would carry the utensils of the tabernacle. Each of them brought all of these things with their offering, all 12 tribes. So then chapter 8, God set apart the Levites and how they did it, the ceremony of it, they had to be shaved, their whole body washed and cleaned, and with sacrifices of a young bull as a sin offering and a burnt offering. And that's in chapter 8. Then 9, as they did all of this, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year, after they'd come out of the land of Egypt, chapter 9, "...let the children of Israel keep the Passover." That's how they came out of Egypt the night of the Passover. They hadn't done that until now. So now they're to do the Passover, to memorialize what happened, that when the angel of death went over the land, all the firstborn died, but where the blood was on the door of the houses, people were saved, and the Jews had killed the lamb and put the blood on the door. So let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time, on the 14th day of this month. See, the 14th of the first month is when they did the Passover at twilight. So it was between the evenings. You shall keep it. So when they do it today, they look out and see if the sun is setting. It's time to start. That's how they know when to start the Passover. In the wilderness of Sinai, according to all the Lord commanded Moses, some of them were defiled by a dead body, and they said, "But well, we can't keep it now. So they made a way that if somebody had been defiled, they could keep it on the 14th day, the Passover of the second month. So that was what we saw. Then verse 15, on the day the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. We see a picture of the, and the tent of the testimony from evening till morning it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire in the evening and so it was the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle after that the children of Israel would journey and in the place where the cloud settled there the children of Israel would pitch their tents at the command of the Lord the children of Israel would journey and at the command of the Lord nothing was left to chance Everything they did, just what God told them to do, and nothing more, nothing less. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. So when the cloud was there, they stayed there. It said sometimes it was many days, and many sometimes it wasn't. When the cloud lifted up, they had to be ready to journey. Verse 22, whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. And then the priests would swing into action, the Levites would and would take everything down and get it ready because it was all portable, that's what it was. We saw the story of the tabernacle in Exodus and it's a wonderful study too because it all, everything about this points to Jesus Christ. The white pictures his purity, the red his blood that would be shed, the blue claws that they used that he came from heaven and the purple that he's royalty. These were the colors that were in this wonderful building. And on the priests it was the, the colors. And at the command of the Lord, and the night Jesus was betrayed, they put a robe on him. They changed the robe. One a purple robe, one a blue robe, one a white robe, and one uh, red, a scarlet robe. Jesus did, it's just how perfect this Bible is, following it all the way through. It it all points to Jesus and what he would do for our sins, take them away. So all of this at the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. And then when he said, they kept the charge of the Lord uh, at the command of Moses. Then chapter 10, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses about two trumpets. How did they know when to go and, and whatever God wanted them to do? The calling of the assembly, it was for calling them to move. It was calling them to war. It was calling them for a lot of things. So they made these trumpets. Then... In chapter 10, verse 11, it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month, in the second year, that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle. And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai. They left Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb, and they settled in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. The standard of the camp of the children of Judah set out first. See, they were the ones right here. They just didn't say, well, let's all move and all start out. No, God told them exactly. First, the flag of Judah, the lion, set out. Then who was be over that tribe was Issachar. And over the army was Zebulun. Then the tabernacle was taken down and the sons of Gershon, the sons of Merari, set out carrying the tabernacle. So some of them hadn't moved as they, uh, the tabernacle was taken down so that it was in the middle and protected by all these tribes that were moving north. Then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy things, and the tabernacle would be prepared for their arrival. So as they move out with the children of Judah, the tabernacle in the midst, and these other people would take a long time. So by the time the cloud settled, then the tabernacle was already up where God was going to have them rest for a while. Thus was the order, verse 28, the order of the march of the children of Israel according to their armies when they began their journey. This chapter 11, then the people began to murmur as they began. It's the same thing over and over again. That They never were happy. They never were contented with what God gave them. They murmured. It displeased the Lord for the Lord heard it. Chapter 11, and so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts in the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses. When Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place a burning, taberah. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So when they left Egypt, a mixed multitude went along that couldn't declare their pedigree. Egyptians and maybe others that went with them that wanted to go. They yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish, which we freely ate in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Our whole being now is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now, the manna was like coriander seed and the color, the color of pearl. And the people went about and gathered it on millstones or beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pads, made cakes of it, and the taste of it was like pastry prepared with oil. Probably had every vitamin and mineral known to man uh, in there, just perfect for them to eat. But they ate it for 40 years. They, they said, our soul, we remember what we had in Egypt the garlic, and the leeks. We don't like this God's angel food. We read it in Psalms it was like angels food. And when the dew fell on the camp, the manna fell on it. Now Moses heard the weeping throughout their families. Everyone at the door of his tent, and he was mad too. And so Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted me? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian, carry as a nurse child to the land that you swore to their fathers where am I to get meat to give all these people they weep all over me saying give us meat that we may eat I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me if you treat me like this please kill me here and now if I have found favor in your sight don't let me see my wretchedness So the Lord said to Moses, "'Gather me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people, and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting. Bring them right here to the door of the tabernacle. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that's upon you and put some of it, my spirit on them, and they will bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then you shall say to the people, "'Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat.' For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. Not one day, two days, five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you've despised the Lord who's among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you said, I'll give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds, we have to kill our animals. The Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Don't you remember what I did to the Red Sea? Don't you remember what I can do, the miracles that I did in Egypt? Now you'll see whether my word will befall you or not. So Moses went out, told the people the word to the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. So they were all placed around here and when the spirit rested on them they prophesied but two men had remained in the camp the name was Eldad and the other was Medad and the spirit rested upon them now they were not among those listed but who had not gone out to the tabernacle yet they prophesied in the camp well anyway Moses said I wish everybody would be a prophet then verse 31 a wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side and that side, on the other side, all around the camp and about three or four feet above the surface of the ground. And the people stayed all that day, all that night. The next day gathered the quail and he who gathered 10 omers or over 100 bushels all around the camp But while the meat was still between their teeth. Before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. They longed for the things, the fleshly things, and they got death and judgment for God. So he called the name of the place Kibroth Hatva, the place of murmuring. And so they buried the people who yielded to craving. From Kibroth Hatva, the people then moved to Hazaroth and camped at Hazaroth. This Kibroth Hatva means graves caused by lust. Then in chapter 12, guess who started murmuring next? Were Miriam and Aaron. They said, because of the Ethiopian woman whom he'd married, for he'd married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us, Miriam said, and Aaron? And they were priests. Now the man Moses was humble more than all men who were on the face of the earth. But suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out you three. So the three came out, the Lord came down, and Miriam got leprosy, and so He said, why would you do this to my servant Moses, who's faithful in all my house? I speak with him face to face. And so why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was roused against them. But then when Miriam became leprous, Moses called out and then the Lord took it away and said, let her be out of the camp for seven days. Then after she was brought back in, in verse 16, the people moved from Hazaroth, camped in the wilderness of Paran. So they're on the way, they've left Mount Sinai, they're on the way up on the right side of the River Jordan up toward Israel. Then we saw that this last time, Israel at Kadesh Barnea. So the spies went out. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now, Deuteronomy says on the way up it was just 11 days journey to get to the land. Just 11 days and they would get there. But now what? They began to complain. So What happened then? Moses sent men to spy out the land of Canaan. Each tribe had somebody sent. And Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who came back after they'd searched the whole land for about a year. They came back and they said, it is a glorious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, but the giants are there. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight. It's just terrible. And so they would just make mincemeat of us so they went up and spied out the land and that's what they said they said it was good we, the descendants verse 28 of Anak were there and Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said let's go up at once take possession we're well able to overcome it but the men who had gone up with him said no we're not able to go up and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out And the land which we have gone as spies to a land that devours its inhabitants. And so then what happened? They said, we saw the giants there. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers. Now, see, God, he can take care of grasshoppers. But they couldn't in their own strength, in our own sight. So we were in their sight. So all the congregation began to weep and complain. So then God said, okay, they were saying, oh, we wish we died in Egypt. If only we died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? We're headed up there. We're almost there. But we saw the people in the land and we'll be victims. So let's get a new leader and go back to Egypt. That's what they're saying. Let's get somebody else. So Moses didn't know what to do. They were going to stone him. All the congregation said to stone them with stones. Verse 10. Now the glory of the Lord appeared before the tabernacle. This cloud did. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe with me all the signs which I performed among them? I'll strike them with pestilence, disinherit them, and I'll make of you another nation mightier than they. Then Moses pled for the people. who said, Lord, what will the heathen say? They'll say, You weren't able to bring them in. And so God changed his mind about this because of Moses. He said... All the ones now that have seen my glory and the things which I did in Egypt, verse 22, and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test these ten times, haven't listened to my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Only my servant Caleb and Joshua, they will see it. Now, so it mentioned all these people. Then they said, well, I guess we will go up. God wasn't with them. They presumed to go up, verse 44, to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, the ark of the Lord didn't go, and the Amalekites and Canaanites drove them back as far as Hormah. Then God, in chapter 15, he says, you're going to have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So then when we come to chapter 20, they've wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. So then the children of Israel, after 40 years, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and Miriam died there. Now there was no water for the congregation. See, God always puts tests. And he, will you trust me? Uh, will you trust me when there's no water? Will you trust me no matter what? Now there was no water, so they gathered together. They, for if they said this at Mount Sinai, down at Horeb. He spoke to the rock and water came out like a great gushing river. For 40 years they had water. So that now in the wilderness no water so the people contended with Moses and said if only we died when our brethren died oh we wish we'd died but you see their spirit of discontent and their disbelief all the way along why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord in this wilderness and made our animals that we should die here Why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron. Gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock. Now what did he say the first time? Strike the rock. Now this time, don't strike it, because that rock is Christ. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians says, (laughs) I'm read it." He said, moreover, brethren, Paul in chapter 10, all the ones that came out of Egypt, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. So they all were saved people. They all ate the same spiritual food, manna. They all drank the same spiritual drink, For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now these things became our examples, you and me, to the intent that we shouldn't lust after evil things as they did for the quail. Now don't become idolaters as some of them, as it's written, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10, nor commit sexual immorality. We're going to see that later. Nor tempting Christ, nor murmuring, as some of them did. But see, these are examples. So he was to strike the rock. That's a picture of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. So only once did he die for sin, not twice. So this time he said, speak. So first he died for our sins. Now we're saved. What do we do? He doesn't go to the cross again, but we come to him and speak to him and ask whatever we want in his name and he does it for us and so he says speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water but thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give to the congregation and their animals so Moses took the rod this is a different rock this is on the way up to the land and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock and he said hear now you rebels must we bring water now see this is a terrible mistake of Moses. He, it's, it's not like him, but he is human. And so we see now, here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore you and Aaron shall not bring this congregation into the land which I've given them. This was the water of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. Now Moses sent messengers. Now they're headed up to the promised land 40 years later and he said to uh, the king of Edom. Now that's Esau's descendants and Esau remember his descendants began to just hate the Jewish people and uh, the whole book of Habakkuk talks about that when they were coming out of the land, now with this, that they hit the stragglers at the end and tried to kill them all off. Now Moses sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel. You know your brother Israel. They were brothers, really. You know all the hardships that has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt and we dwelt in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through your fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from your wells. We will go along the King's Highway, which was this highway that traveled from The far east, they would come to Egypt. On the east side of the Jordan, that was the king's highway, clear to Egypt, probably clear on over to Africa. And so he said, we'll just go along the king's highway, and we won't turn to the right hand or the left until we pass through your territory. Then Edom said to him, the Edomites, you shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, we will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Only let me pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, you shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. God keeps mentioning this over and over and over again in Deuteronomy and in the prophets, then the children of Israel, the whole congregation journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. Now, nobody knows quite where Mount Hor is. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor at the border of the land of Edom. So evidently, that's a mountain that they don't really know where it was, but on the border of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eliezer, his son, bring them up to Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his priestly garments, the garments of glory and beauty that the high priest wore. Strip them and put them on Eleazar his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded. And they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all of the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. Now then, when the king of Arad, which is south of Beersheba, Beersheba is the very southern part of Israel. He's a Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah, which means destruction. And it's about 25 miles south of Hebron, Dr. Ryrie said. And then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. So they had to go all the way around it so they wouldn't be defeated by the Edomites. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? How many times have we heard this? How many times do we complain? See, this is our example book. Why has this happened? Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food or water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. The bread pictured the body of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine this? Our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent of brass and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, they had to realize that they were bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. Brass always symbolizes judgment in the Bible. The brass laver in the front of the tabernacle. And the animal altar where the animals were sacrificed was made of bronze or brass. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now this becomes a very, very important part of our belief as Christians Turn back to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John. It's the Gospel of salvation, the Gospel of believing. See, believing. And looking, eating, and drinking are synonyms for believing in the Bible. Now, this one is looking. Now, we saw in John 6 that eating the bread is a symbol of taking Jesus into ourselves. See, when you eat something, you take it into yourself. When you look, you take it in through your eye gate. And when you drink, you take it in that same way. So eating, drinking, and looking. He that drinketh my blood and eateth my flesh. See, it's a hard say. but he's saying, you take me to yourself, is what he's saying. You take me into yourself. Now here's what he says in John 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, the water always is the word of God, not baptism. Baptism doesn't save anyone. It's just a symbol of identification with Jesus who died on the cross for us. So he said, of water, even the spirit, the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher, the teacher of Israel, and don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen, and you don't receive our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And who knows, but maybe that serpent on the brass pole was in the form of a cross. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, not believes and repents, repents and believes. I'm so sick of hearing repent. It's repent for the Jew, believe for the Gentile. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, there's not one word of repentance in the book of John. Repent means a change of mind, and when Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about it, they're talking to Jews, change your mind about this Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Son of God. You don't believe in Him, but change your mind and believe in Him. That's what repentance means. So, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever, did He love just certain ones, just the elect as some would say, we love the world. He loved everybody. Everybody has the possibility of being saved. Why aren't they saved? Because they won't look at Jesus in faith and believe in Him. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. The world might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And for everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light. See, he's the light of the world, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Then the same sort of thing of eating, drinking, and looking, I want you to turn ahead to John 6, because this is the same one that people that talk about repentance for salvation, they talk about this also, this discourse on the bread of life. This is Jesus talking about, he departed to a mountain by himself and the sea rose and he was walking on the sea. They received him into the boat So immediately the boat landed where they were going. But on the following day, verse 22 of chapter 6, the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which the disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. What is that food? It's his flesh, we're going to see. Then they said to him, what shall we do? See, they want to do something. They want to repent. They want to give. They want to join. They want to do something. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus, this is a very important verse, said to them, this is the work of God. Not giving or repenting or paying money or anything else. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it's written. He gave them bread to eat from heaven. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, Jesus, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the father gives me, i notice this, he's going to make it hard for them. All the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the father who sent me that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. You see, it's seeing, believing. It isn't what you do. It's believing. And every normal member of the human race has this ability to believe. Believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured against him, these unbelieving Jews, because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them and said, do not murmur among yourselves. And he's going to really make it hard. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, the Reformed folks, they hang their faith on this verse, that nobody can come unless he's drawn. And he draws some, and he doesn't draw others, in other words. Some are elect or drawn, some are non-elect and aren't drawn. They all got this from the Catholic Church way back. John Calvin was a Catholic who turned into a Protestant. So was Martin Luther. So they brought some of the baggage from the Catholic Church that taught this early on, So no one can come to the Father who sent me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This does sound hard. And I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. One time a Presbyterian minister was discussing nicely. We were (laughs) nicely discussing this. And uh, I thought, it does sound impossible, but let's see it in context. So I read the rest of the chapter, and the answer is quite a few verses later. The answer is from verse 44 over to verse 64. So 20 verses later, he says, The Spirit gives life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. That's why he said, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. He knew which disciples and which Jews would not believe. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away? And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, anyway, I'm going to go back now. Do not murmur among yourselves, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father draw a line from there to there. But then I want you to see in between what he says. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except Jesus, who is from God. He's seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, Jesus said, has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. So we've seen he's the living water. Now he's the living bread, isn't he? You take bread into you. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. That eating, drinking, and looking are synonyms of faith or believing. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat, so he's making it really hard, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, unless you believe in him, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So these are synonyms for faith. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. When you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said this is a hard saying Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning his omniscience. He knew who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore... I have said to you that no one can come to me unless, that's why I said that, no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him but my Father. Then I want us to turn to John 12, verse 32, because the answer to this is also very clearly in the 12th chapter. Jesus answered and said in verse 30, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Oh, the voice that came from heaven said, I have both glorified Jesus and will glorify him. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it thundered. They thought it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will what? Draw all men to myself. So when he's resurrected, he's going to draw everybody. But not everybody will come, will they? That's why he said to these unbelievers that nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. But then he says, and when I'm resurrected, the Father will draw everybody to me. See, that's what he's saying. Now, when somebody says, start to read John, it's the easiest book to read. No, it isn't the easiest book to read. John isn't. It isn't so easy, but you can understand it. And that's why I want you all to hear this Andy Woods is chapter 12, a rapture passage in my father's house. Uh, So back to our passage in Numbers. So the serpent of brass. And so that's why I painted that painting for the back of the church so that everybody would know that you're saved by looking at Jesus, looking at the serpent of brass. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so will Jesus be raised to the cross that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I've written... These are some wonderful things that I wanted. Uh, the principle of grace and the free will of man. All of this is so good. So I've made one. And then about elections, Jesus is the only person elected from eternity past This election took place in the Doctrine of Eternal Decrees and it goes on. Here's the summation. Christ is elected or chosen. We choose Christ free will because we are then in Christ, in union with Christ, we are chosen elected in him. And this is written by Bob Thiem. Not many people graduate summa cum laude from Dallas Seminary. He's one of the smartest people. He was very human. He had a lot of flaws. But When he exegeted the Bible, he was, for the most part, very good, especially on salvation. So here we have, election takes place at the moment of salvation. Every believer shares Christ's election. We're chosen in him. See, very few people see this from Ephesians chapter 1. I wanted to turn that, before we finish this off today, we'll start with verse 10 next time. But I want us to see Ephesians chapter 1. It's such an important book. Paul is writing this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints. Now, who are the saints? Those that are canonized by the Catholic Church or what? Popes that have died and been nice guys? No. Every believer is a saint. It means a set-apart one. So when you believe in Jesus, you're set-apart you're a saint. So we're all saints here today. To the saints who are in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus, notice the in Christ. I want you to underline every verse that has in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, in the beloved. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now this is God's plan see he's planned this wonderful destiny that's predestination he's planned a destiny for us notice just as he chose us elected us in him so how are you chosen just at random whether you want to be or not that's what the Presbyterians and some other, all of the reformed people say that you are chosen whether you want to be or not And if you aren't chosen then too bad that isn't God at all that isn't a God of love Uh, Everybody needs to read Dave Hunt's book. What love is this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How? In Christ. Well, how do I get in Christ? Well, Christ is the chosen one from eternity past. Isaiah says, Mine elect my chosen one. So who's elect from eternity past? Jesus. So when we choose him, we share everything he has and is, including his election. Please get that in your mind and have it stick there. Um, because we are in Christ, we are chosen in him, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. I remember Dr. will saying, the believers are the elect, and the non-believers are the non-elect. It's, it's as simple as that. And volumes are written on this subject by theologians please when it's so simple usually it's the simple things just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption what does that mean Well, he determined beforehand he planned a destiny that's what predestination means he planned a destiny that when we believe in Jesus, he'd adopt us as his sons by Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. How are we accepted before God? In the beloved. He sees you, he sees me, but he sees Christ in front of us. In, In ourselves, we are, as David said, what? born in sin and shapen in iniquity. That's what we are in ourselves. But in Christ, it's all this wonder. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and he made us abound in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, that in the dispensation of the fullest of the times, he's going to gather in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and on earth in him. In Jesus, in whom we have obtained an inheritance. Oh, oh that means that we're going to be, well, whatever Abraham gave to Isaac, and he was a very wealthy man. An inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted Christ should be to the praise of his glory. See, that's the idea. That when you believe in Jesus, it isn't just to go off and do what you want to, but we're to be trophies of his grace, to the praise of his glory. In him you trusted after you heard the word of truth. See the water of the word first applied by the Holy Spirit. You trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit comes into each believer as the first down payment on the purchased possession until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So this is salvation and this is election and this is where we're going to start next week. But this is so important about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. But we start at verse 10 of chapter 21. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. Bless these doctrinal things to our hearts that we might be assured of the place we have in Christ and know that nothing can shake that. No matter what happens to us, we belong to you and you'll take care of us and you'll take us to heaven. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions on any of this? Where was that in Isaiah that in Ephesians... Isaiah 42. Let's look there. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, My elect one, and did Rich go, he needs to show this to his rabbi. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, they think it's Israel, it's Jesus. My elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. It's not a nation of Israel. They say it's Israel, but it's a person. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he won't break. The smoking flax he will not quench. He'll bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. So he's the elect one, the chosen servant. Any other question or any other thing that maybe bother you?